Hi, this is Dr. John Ankerberg. I invite you to dig into God's Word today with my dear friend, the late Dr. Wayne Barber, as he leads you verse by verse through the Bible. Joshua chapter 9. Boy, what an incredible journey we've been talking about. And today we're going to talk about understanding how to deal with failure. Any failures here this morning besides me? Anybody in here? <laughs> how do you deal with, fa- with failure? You know, they said that, that this is Joshua chapter 9. They said when the Titanic was made, that it could never sink. <laughs> and I remember when that statement came out that somebody said, and I, I tried to find it, tried to Google it and find it, but I've heard it so many times. Somebody made the statement, a very prominent person that said, oh yes, if it's made by human hands, it can sink, which it did. Anything man touches can sink. This is why it's all about God and it's not about us. Well, let me get you into this. If you ever ask yourself the question, will I ever get to the place that I don't have to deal with failure anymore? You ever thought about that? I think the false expectations of the Christian life is we're going to get to a certain level and when we get there where the temptations back off and, and everything thing works out well and then one day we go to see Jesus. Well, it's not that way. There's an answer to that question, will I, will I ever get to the place that I, I don't have to deal with failure? And that is, yes, when you die. <laughs> And you go to be with Jesus if you're a believer. Or when Jesus comes to the church, you don't have to deal with failure anymore. But until then, we're going to have to reckon with failure because it's a part of the journey. It's a part of the journey. In fact, failure can be a tool. It should be a tool that God can use to grow us in our walk with Him. And I want you to know this morning as we get into this, God loves failures. God loves failures. If you knew what I wasn't, you wouldn't come to hear me apart from Jesus. If I knew what you were apart from Jesus, I probably wouldn't come to speak to you either. But it, it, we're all in the same boat. We're all a group of failures. You think about it. There's nobody that's arrived. Paul himself said he had not arrived. We've seen Israel trust God. and We've seen them walk in the victory that was already theirs, coming from it, going into the, the battles that they had. But we've also seen when they sinned and were miserably defeated. Today we're going to learn another lesson. From them as they fall again they fail once again and this time to the to the oldest trick in the book to deception isn't that interesting wasn't an army that took them this is all about deception what how the Israel falls to it when we fail to acknowledge God in our life to acknowledge his word in our lives we can count on failure from now on over and over and over again Israel is such a clear picture of how we need to walk sensitive to the Spirit of God because sin has many faces. They're going to face armies coming against them. They're going to attack villages that are, that are battened down. And now they're going to face deception. Well, it appears from our text today that what Joshua said back in chapter 7, verse 8 and 9, became a reality. And let me read that to you. In verse 8 of Joshua 7, O Lord, what can I say? Now, they've just been defeated by I, miserably. He says, what can I say since Israel has turned their back before their enemies? For the Canaanites and all the inhabitants of the land will hear of it, and they will surround us and cut off our name from the earth. That was his fear. Because now that they've turned their back to their enemy and they've run from them, the enemy will hear about this, 
and they will now see a chink in our armor. And it's exactly what happened. The inhabitants of Canaan heard about this, and now they, 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 they've seen the weakness of Israel. Whereas before the nations of, of Canaan were fearful of Israel, now we're going to see, beginning in chapter 9, how they be, the nations begin to band together, not to defend themselves from the attack of Israel, but to attack Israel. The enemies now realize that they're just human. It, it was their God that had, had done all of this, but yet they can, uh, in their failure, that news had traveled. Look at verse 1 of Joshua 9. Now it came about when all the kings who were beyond the Jordan, in the hill country and in the lowland, and on all the coast of the great sea toward Lebanon, the Hittite and the Amorite, the Canaanite, the Perizzite, the Hivite, the Jebusite, and the Termite, heard of it. Y'all missed that. That they gathered themselves together with one accord to fight with Joshua and with Israel. Now what did they hear about? Obviously what he's talking about right here, they heard about how Israel had defeated I. But if they had heard that they defeated I, they had also heard that I had defeated them. The very fact that these nations were banding together tells us something in our study, and that is the pendulum has swung because they were fearful. They were shaking in their tracks when they heard about what God had done. Now that they've known that Israel actually was defeated by I, yes, they went back and defeated them, but they've heard of the weakness here. Now they're banding together to come after them. But this is not our focus today. This is not what we're going to be looking at, the fact that the nations now are banding against Israel. There was another group that had other ideas about dealing with Israel. What Jericho could not do with their walls and what I could not do with their weapons, the Gibeonites were able to accomplish by simple deception. And isn't that amazing? This wasn't a warrior with a spear in his hand. This was simple deception. The city of Gibeon was on the list of cities in Canaan that Israel was to conquer. And they knew it. Obviously, they didn't want to die. And obviously, they didn't want to fight. So they devised a plan of deception. Why? So that they could be able to peacefully coexist with Israel in the land. Their deception would bring about a huge failure in Israel's life. And in fact, something that Israel had to live with from then on. Now, isn't it amazing? They just had a victory at I. They just had a victory at I. And isn't it amazing that after the greatest victories of our life, the greatest spiritual victories of our life, that we experience some of our greatest failures? Anybody here relate to that besides me? You're on a mountaintop. God's done a powerful work in your life, and it's not 24 hours when the flesh is deceived and we're right back in failure again. The victories of yesterday do not ensure the victories of today. They can remind us. They can encourage us. Buddy, we've got to make the same choices today that we made yesterday, and that is to choose to trust Christ and Him alone. And I guess the question we need to ask ourselves this morning is, will we ever learn? Will we ever learn? Okay, so what can we learn from Israel that might help us deal with failure? Because in the New Covenant, we still have to deal with our flesh, and it is going to deceive us more and more and more. And so what can we learn from it? First of all, failure. We need to learn that failure is when we do not trust God. That's where it all starts, right there. Failure is when we do not trust God. We keep remembering, and we must keep remembering, that the root of all sin is unbelief. Unbelief is a belief 
And it also determines our behavior. When I choose not to trust God, when I choose not to consult with Him, when I choose not to seek His discernment, failure is imminent in my life and in yours. Even though we do not set out to fail, failure will occur, and we must understand that. Our problem is that we underestimate the deceiving nature of our flesh. It causes us to act on human reasoning rather than trusting God and His Word. Man, how often we do that. I've been here before. I can do that myself. God, don't call me. I'll call you. I can handle this. I can get her done. God, you just bless what I do. And amazing how the failure steps in at that point. Well, let's look at our text. Let's get the picture. Verse 3, when the inhabitants of Gibeon heard that Joshua had, had done what Joshua had done to the Jericho and to Ai, they also acted craftily and set out as envoys and took worn-out sacks on their donkeys and wineskins worn out and torn and mended and worn out and patched sandals on their feet and worn-out clothes on themselves. Sounds like how the young people dress today. And all the bread of their provision was dry and had become crumble now what in the world's going on it says when they acted craftily the word there in another translation is translated with guile and what a picture that draws from me because the greek word for that guile is dolos and dolos is the word for fish bait and it's today <laughs> you don't translate greek from today but at the same time it has a meaning that draws a picture for us and you, we use this in 2 Corinthians to see how we are so easily deceived. Something that's fish bait looks good. It just looks good. But it's not what it appears to be because hidden beneath it is a hook. And that's exactly what guile is. Crafty. They had a plan in mind. Now, what were these crafty Gibeonites up to? Verse 6. They went to Joshua, to the camp at Gilgal, and said to him and to the men of Israel, We have come from a far country. Now, therefore, make a covenant with us. Make a covenant with us. In our language, covenant means hardly anything. In their language, covenant meant everything. Covenant was a bond. Covenant's the strongest word in any, any human relationship. It's an incredible, important word. And keep remembering that the whole purpose of their deception, the whole purpose of what they wanted to do here, they wanted to peacefully coexist with Israel. In our lives, there's nothing more, more that could please the devil for us to, uh, than for us to let sin coexist in our life, to embrace it, to bring it into our lives, to make it a part of our Christian walk, to, to not deal with it. It, it, it could nothing please the devil anymore. Right after Israel had failed at Ai and then trusted God for victory over Ai the second time, just when they thought they were right back on track with God, deceptions sets in and that it's really interesting to me how this plays out back in deuteronomy moses had warned the israelites he had warned them he says in verse one of chapter seven of deuteronomy when the lord your god brings you into the land where you are entering to possess it and clears away many nations before you the hittites and the Girgashites and all the ites seven nations greater and stronger than you and when the lord your god delivers them before you and you defeat them then you shall utterly destroy them. Now remember, we don't have physical enemies as they did. We have spiritual enemies. We're to completely to destroy them as we walk in surrender to Christ. He says, you shall make no covenant with them and show no favor to them. Now God's very clear. The enemy was to be totally destroyed because they could not coexist peacefully with Israel. And God knew that. That's what God's telling them. 
So in verse 7, it says, the men of Israel said to the Hittites. Now, the Gibeonites were Hittite. If you want to know where they fit, in, in, or Hivites, not Hittite, Hivites. <laughs> well, all these ites are getting to me. <laughs> I'm glad none of them were around when I was born to name me. Wayne's all right. They lived in an area that ranged from Shechem all the way to Gibeon. Now, the men of Israel, obviously the leaders now, questioned them about, wait a minute, wait a minute. Maybe you do live in the land. You're trying to trick us. He says in verse 7 on, he says, perhaps you are living within our land. How then shall we make a covenant with you? Because everybody knew that they could not make a covenant with anybody in the land. But they said to Joshua, and here comes the deception, and if you're not careful, you'll read right by it. They said to Joshua, we are your servants. We're here to please you. Oh, my. We want to serve you. The oldest trick in the book, because, you see, our flesh loves those words. We want to see. We want to serve you. Wow. Wow. There's something in this for me. Wow. This is good. Part of the plan of the Gibeonites to deceive Israel into making a covenant with them has to be they had knowledge of what God had said. And here's why I'm, I'm saying that. They knew what God had said to Moses in Deuteronomy chapter 20 and 10 through 20, that they could make a covenant to nations outside of Canaan, but not inside of Canaan, and they knew that. And so their whole deception was built around what God had already said. So in effect, then, they were simply tricking them with what God had said. By making them think that they were foreigners, then they could find a loophole to where they could make covenant with Israel. Isn't it interesting how God's word can be so twisted and misused to deceive our thinking? Isn't it incredible? You think, well, where is that in Scripture, Wayne? Where is it in Scripture? Goodness gracious. Matthew chapter 4, the premier example of this is when the devil took Jesus out and, and to be tempted. And he says in Matthew 4, 5, Then the devil took him into the holy city and had him stand on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down. For it is written, will I be. You mean the devil knows what God has said? You better believe he knows what God has said. And he twists it and perverts it and makes us think. Somehow, that's what God's saying to us. He says, he will command his angels concerning you. And on, the hands they, uh, on their hands, they will bear you up so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. And I love this. Jesus said to him, on the other hand, <laughs> it's also written. He knew he is the word of God. He says, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. I'm telling you, since the devil knows God's word, and in our world that we live in today, maybe, maybe it's not something as obvious as lust or, or, or something else or pride or whatever it is that we're dealing with. Maybe it's a deception that's coming at us from, from people using God's word. We better be sensitive to the God of the word. We better be sensitive to what God has said and know it is also said. If we don't know the word of God, it's incredible how the Word of God can be used against us. Well, Joshua still is not convinced that they're a foreigner. And he says in verse 8, Then Joshua said to them, Who are you, and where do you come from? And they lied and said in verse 9, They said to him, Your servants have come from a very far country because of the fame of the Lord your God. For we have heard the report of him and all that he did in Egypt and all that he did to the two kings of the Amorites who were beyond the Jordan, to Sihon, king of Heshbon, and Og, king of Bashan, who was at Ashtaroth. 
So our elders and all the inhabitants of our country spoke to us saying, take provisions in your hand for the journey and go to meet at them and say to them, we are your servants. Now then make a covenant with us. We're from a far country and they told us to come over here because we want to make covenant with you. We want to peacefully coexist with you. You know, you think about our Christian lives today and how we embrace flesh. And that's what, that's what sin is. Sin, the middle letter of the word sin explains everything to us. It's self. It's, flesh is just simply, I do, I'm going to do it my way. And one of the ways in which we are deceived into thinking something is going to serve us in our walk with God or whatever, one of the ways we do that is when we drag into our Christian life the performance mentality of religion. And I thought about this when I was studying this. How in the world could we be so deceived to embrace sin into our life? But it hit me like a ton of bricks. This is exactly what happened to the Galatians, and this is why Paul wrote the epistle to the Galatians. They had been saved by grace, and they had learned that the grace was the transforming, enabling power of God within them. But somehow they had heard some false teaching, and the teachers had come in and had plagued their minds with, with, with a lie. And it was all about performance mentality. See, the law always demands me measuring up. But grace says, no, he's already measured up for me. Now I can receive from him what I could never be or do myself. And what we do, we drag fleshly works right into our Christianity. And we marry with it. We covenant with it. We, we think somehow it's a part of the Christian life. And what a mess we have made out of Christianity in the 21st century. Religion appears to be harmless, doesn't it? It tells us that it simply wants to help us in our walk with God. And it's incredible what it produces. The lie behind it is it circumvents everything God wants to do in us and through us. Because now it's about us doing something for Him. And we end up in total failure, obsessed with self-glory. That's all it is. That's all it is. And we've missed it. How in the world did we do that? Well, look at Israel. This is another failure in our life, and we've got to understand how quickly we can do it. When I played ball in college, you walk in the locker room, and it says, when the going gets tough, the tough get going, son. And you suck it up, boy. You can do it. You can do it. You can do it. You can. And I grew up with that. I, and the world is that way. And somehow, we drag that same mentality right into our Christian life. We have married... We, have co we are now coexisting with the Gibeonite of religion. We've allowed it right back in. Well, this is an example of what I'm talking about. There are many more examples we could make. But how we embrace things of what God hates and bring it right into our life. Self cannot peacefully coexist with Christ in our life. There's the conflict. But it sounds so good. Failure is assured when we begin to listen to our flesh. We want to serve you. Wow, we come from a far country. Well, their deception was so very clever. Verse 12, this our bread was warm when we took it for our provisions out of our houses on the day that we left to come to you. But now behold, it is dried, become crumble. These wineskins which we filled were new. And behold, they are torn. And these our clothes and our sandals are worn out because of the very long journey man they had it down to a t you know they camouflaged themselves you know I, i'm a deer hunter and i remember one day i was coming out and one of my friends was sitting in the car watching for me and he was watching intently because he wanted to make sure where i was coming out of the woods i'm walking right straight towards him up next to the woods i've got camo on 
my whole, all you can see is my eyeballs from all the camo that I had on, even the gloves. And I'm walking right towards him very slow, just walking out of the woods. He never saw me until I walked right up on the car and had been watching that field the whole time. And it's exactly the way it sneaks into our life. I hope we're understanding. Deception means it's deceiving. <laughs> Have we got that? And it just slips, it slips right in. We don't even know it's there. For a while. It takes a while to understand how we've been duped. Well, Israel's leaders bought it, hook, line, and sinker. Verse 14, so the men of Israel took some of their provisions and did not ask the counsel of the Lord. Now, there's your problem right there. They did not ask the counsel of the Lord. Israel made two mistakes. They judged them on their own logical appearance, even tasting their food and, and, uh, to see if it was old. They accepted all the shallow evidence that was right in front of them. It looked logical. It looked reasonable. But more importantly, and the biggest mistake they made, instead of consulting with God to find his discernment, they made their decision on their own based on the feeble proof that was put before them. Remember, unbelief is the root of all sin and therefore all failure in the spiritual life. When I choose not to trust God and consult with him, when I walk away from the discernment of the Spirit, when I do not listen to what the Word of God is saying, failure is imminent. You would think that Joshua had learned his lesson, wouldn't you? Because it, when they were defeated at Ai, it was because he never went before the Lord. He trusted the reasoning of the spies. You would think, but it's classroom 101 all over again. Have you understood that about your Christian life yet? I keep thinking I'm going to move to classroom 102. <laughs> but I'm still in classroom 101. I keep flunking the test. Anybody else in here besides me like that? Some of y'all are just so spiritual. It just amazes me. When we make the mistake of listening to our flesh, and I hate to say this. It's sad to say. We will. We will. Failure is assured in our lives. Failure is when we do not trust God and cater to our own fleshly thinking, and we allow sin right back into our lives. We do it deceptively. They don't, we, don't, we don't understand what we're doing sometimes, but we just embrace it, and it becomes a part of what we think God loves, and yet, yet it's what God hates. All right. So first of all then, deception star, or failure starts when we choose not to trust God. But secondly, when we failed, okay, we failed. <laughs> all right, my hands up. Somebody tells me sometime, Wayne, I failed this past week. Get a number and get in line with the rest of us. Okay, now I failed. When we failed, we must go back to where we departed. We must go back to where we departed. They had failed because they did not consult with God or honor his word. Now what? God, listen, now God's glory must be protected at all costs. Once you recognize the failure is there, you see, sin is a reflection not just on our character, but sin is a reflection on God's name and God's reputation. Israel, is foolish, Israel foolishly made a covenant with the, with the deceptive Gibeonites. And, and, but, but once they failed, once they understood that they had failed, now the most important thing was to go back to where they departed and protect God's name at all cost. That's part of it. Once you fail, come back to where you departed. And you don't protect God's name by not saying yes to him. You protect his name by saying yes to him. Because they were God's people, they knew that they could not go back on their word. Why? Because it was sealed in covenant with the name of God in it. They were foolish in doing it, but they did it, and they now understand it. God's name and reputation was more important than anything else at this moment. It wasn't their name that was at stake. 
It's God's name that's at stake. So verse 19, but all the leaders said to the whole congregation, we have sworn to them by the Lord, the God of Israel, and now we cannot touch them. We have to understand that they made a covenant in the name of the Lord with these people, which was directly against what God had told them. So let's read the text, verse 15. Joshua made peace with them and made a covenant with them to let them live. And the leaders of the congregation swore an oath to them. It came about at the end of three days after they had made a covenant with them that they heard that they were neighbors. Oh, no. And that they were living within their land. It didn't take but three days for Israel to realize how, how, how they'd been duped. I don't, I'm surprised it took that long. When they heard that the Gibeonites lived in the land, verse 17 says, the sons of Israel set out and came to their cities on the third day. I, it, it appears that when they realized that they'd been lied to, and these Gibeonites actually were a city they're supposed to conquer. And they, and they understood that. They left camp and, buddy, they went to take them out. But verse 18 shows that Israel's leaders. Now listen, leadership is always just pure humanity, hopefully filled with the Spirit of God. You, you, you have imperfect people leading, whether it's then, whether it's now, whether, wherever it is when it's in a Christian world. They're, they're mere men. But they knew they had integrity. They knew that, that to move on, if they were ever going to move on, they had to go back and honor God's covenant. They had to. They had to do this when they crossed the, the Jordan River. They had to do this when they were defeated at Ai. And they had to come back to protect that. And verse 18 says, The sons of Israel did not strike them because the leaders of the congregation had sworn to them by the Lord, the God of Israel. And this is really interesting never happens anywhere else. It says, and the whole congregation grumbled against their leaders. <laughs> what a novel idea. They had sworn an oath and had made a covenant with these pagan people in God's name. And the whole congregation grumbled against that. Some people think that it's because they got the spoils of war at I, and if they could go on and defeat Gibeon, they could take the spoils of the war and they could get more. You know, nobody knows really why the grumbling that was there. But the bottom line is Israel's leadership blew it you say well Wayne is that patterned anywhere else in scripture Jesus had 12 disciples didn't he one of them denied him one of them betrayed him everyone except John deserted him at the cross wow great bunch of guys now what did God do the new covenant came in he filled them with the spirit and they ended up changing the whole world God just changed the world through them so leadership is just mere human beings and they can blow it they can mess up but that doesn't have to spell doom for leadership. didn't have to spell doom for them. Just because they blew it does not mean they cannot go on. They could go back to where they departed, and they did. By honoring God and trusting Him now, they departed where they chose not to trust Him. Now go back to where you departed and do what He says to do. Every one of us are going to fail. And I thank God we're under the covenant of grace. Thank God that He allows failure in the vocabulary of the Christian journey. But we, when we do fail, don't let the failure whip you. Understand that you can admit it just like they admitted it, and you can go back to where you departed, and God can use you once again. Verse 19 says, But all the leaders said to the whole congregation, We have sworn to them by the Lord, the God of Israel, and now we cannot touch them. The leadership, again, says we failed, but it's God's name and reputation that we need to protect because it's God's name that was, drug, that was brought into this. They went back to where they departed by honoring God and his word. Verse 20, this we will do to them, even let them live, so that wrath will not be upon us for the oath which we swore to them. The leader said to them, 
let them live. I don't know, I don't know how this message is affecting you. I just know how it affected me when I was studying it. And I, I'll just share what God has shared with me. How, how many of us have done some stupid things in our life and we're still bearing and haunted by the consequences of those choices? Anybody in here besides me? And I'll tell you, and I wish I could go back and relive it. I'm telling you sometimes it just comes back to me in waves. And I'm thinking, Wayne, you stupid person. What did you do that for? And I want to go back and change it. I wish I could change the consequences, but I can't. But thank God he doesn't throw away failures. God loves failures. We don't set out to fail, but when we fail, let it work for us, not against us. And what we do, we come back to where we departed. We come back and bow down before him and say, God, I, I'm as guilty as I can possibly be. But, oh, God, thank you for the grace that I can get back up. And thank you for your mercy that you can help me bear up under the consequences of my wrong choices. That's grace. That's a covenant of grace. If we, if we preach anything else, then nobody's living the standard that we're throwing out there, even the people preaching it. And this is our problem. We need to understand that we come together at church, we're all a bunch of failures, but thank God he loves failures. And we can come back to the place that we departed and we can worship and we can get into his word and let the word of God get into us and we can once again walk in the victory that he says is already ours. So we're going to fail. And when we fail, it's because we don't trust God. Once a failure has happened, and it, well, I'm a living example of it, it can, it'll happen. Once it's occurred, we've got to go back to where we departed, which is where? Come back to his word. Come back to honoring his name with your life. He'll take care of what's lacking in the equation. Well, thirdly, we must learn to let failure work for us, not against us. And this is something that struck me when I was studying this. Verse 22, then Joshua called for them and spoke to them, saying, Why have you deceived us, saying, We are very far from you when you are living within our land? Now, therefore, verse 23, you are cursed, and you shall never cease from being slaves, both hewers of wood and drawers of water for the house of my God. <laughs> right there where the tabernacle and the temple later on was. So they answered Joshua and said, because it was certainly told your servants that the Lord your God had commanded his servant Moses. This is why we did it, they're saying, to give you all the land and to destroy all the inhabitants of the land before you. Therefore, we feared greatly for our lives because of you and have done this thing. They admitted it. Now behold, we are in your hands. Do as it seems good and right in your sight to do to us because that's the kind of people you are. Thus he said to them and delivered them from the hands of the sons of Israel, they did not kill them. And in verse 27, but Joshua made them that day hewers of wood, drawers of water for the congregation and for the altar of the Lord to this day in the place which he would choose. The Gibeonites that deceived Israel into one of their greatest failures would now end up serving Israel the rest of their lives. This failure would work for Israel in the long run, not against them. Israel would be reminded, and this is how it worked for them. Every day they saw the Gibeonites drawing water and hewing wood. They're reminded of their failure, of what happens when you don't trust God. But at least it can work for them and not against them. It had cost them, but they had learned from their mistake. I wonder how many of us are learning from our mistakes. And, and we see the scars of what we've done wrong in our life and Every single day it reminds us what are we not apart from him. Somebody said one day, well, if God's already forgiven us of our sin, why should we confess it every day? I'm going to tell you something. Confession is not, not on, for God's sake. Confession is for our own benefit. 
And the more I confess the wane in my life, and the more I confess the, the choices that I make that are wrong, the more I'm reminded of how badly I need the Lord Jesus to fill me in my walk every day. Confession doesn't do God any good, and that he knew it before you were ever born. But it is it for our benefit and that cleansing of our walk with him. Forgiveness, yes, it's already there. But that cleansing and renewal and intimacy of fellowship with him can be instant. It can be instant. You could be here today and be the biggest failure in Chattanooga. And right now, instantly, you come back to where you departed. You fall on your knees before God. And you admit to, your, to him the failure of your life. He already knows it. It's good for you. It, it, it. Oh, listen. And then what he does to replenish what's been lost in your walk that's what he wants that's what he wants in all of us every day of our life well I ask a question to start off with any failures in here beside me this morning <laughs> have you learned yet to the point that the point of your departure was when you chose not to consult with him when you chose not to come to his word are you willing to come back to where you departed and bow down before him this morning protecting his name to where he can be glorified in your life again he gives you that grace and mercy to bear up under you your choice. Will you allow your failure to work for you and not against you? Because failure is going to have to be a part of our vocabulary until we see Jesus. So how do we deal with it? How do we deal with it? For additional resources or to view our TV program, log on to jashow.org. That's jashow.org.